Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like the show and think we deserve a five-star rating, and obviously we do, rate us and post a review. Also, although our main purpose in life is to entertain you, producing this show costs actual money, so please help out by going to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried and pledging your support to receive all sorts of goodies, merchandise, personalized roast, and shout-outs, advanced access to episodes or personal messages from me, Gilbert Gottfried. And if we raise enough, maybe I can finally get a new co-host. I'm thinking of the Scarlett Johansson robot. Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're here once again at Nutmeg Post with our engineer, Frank Ferdoroso. Our guest this week is a legendary and much-loved actor who's appeared in well over a hundred films, including Gremlins, The Terminator, Piranha, Used Cars, 1941, The Howling, New York, New York, White Line Fever, Inner Space, Twilight Zone the Movie, Rock and Roll, High School, and of course, A Bucket of Blood, the original Shop of Horrors, Little Shop of Horrors, and a personal favorite of this show, The Terror. TV appearances include Dragnet, The Untouchables, Bonanza, Manic, Soap, Police Squad, Fame, and Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. In his long and lively, incredible career, he's worked with everyone from Boris Karloff to Jack Nicholson to George C. Scott to former podcast guest Bruce Dern, Joe Dante, and Roger Corman. Please welcome one of the busiest and most visible performers of the last 60 years. New World's Pictures, good luck, charm, Dick Miller. Dick. That's that's wonderful. (laughs) Who is he? Now, now, Dick, before we get to anything else, in case we hear some barking, you you own some chihuahuas. Oh, yeah, I have them, yeah. And what it, what do you call them? Uh, one is uh, Connie. No, but... Is, uh, he's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the fact that they eat chicken soup all the time, so we call them chihuahuas. <laughs> chihuahuas. <laughs> so... So your Jew hours might start barking. <laughs> yes. Now, one is Connie and one is Monet, and they, we hope, won't start barking. Oh, that's fine. That's Dick's lovely wife, uh, Lainey, who's joining us for our listeners. 
Now, when we we had the great Dick Van Dyke on recently, and he told us a story that he and Orson Bean used to go to the zoo together to look at this one old monkey who would smoke a cigar and jerk off. Now, (laughs) (laughs) Dick Miller, do you have a monkey story? No, but I do the same thing. I <laughs> Sometimes I go to public to the zoo and do it. Uh, you know. So, so you're at that that point now where you smoke cigars and jerk off in public. Okay. Yeah. Now you had you had a work with a monkey one time, an unruly monkey. I did on a picture called a uh, white dog. I worked. Uh, I was supposed to work with uh, some very talented chimpanzees, and I got a call the night before to saying the chimps uh, uh, are not going to work with you because they picked up one of the crew and threw him about twenty feet, and he's he's not he's not <laughs> in a very good condition. We got a little monkey for you, he weighs about thirty pounds, and uh, he'll do. I get to this little monkey, and the trainer is there, and he's saying. Here, put on the side back. Uh, it has grapes in it and raisins and little snacks like that. And then every 10 seconds, give him a little grape. He'll shut up. He'll be nice and quiet. But uh, if, if, if you find them nibbling on you, you, I said, wait a second. What do you mean nibbling? He said, well, he likes to nibble. He, he, you know, he, he bites a little. He's, uh, it's, it's not important. They can't hurt you, but I'm just... I said, I ain't going to work with any monkeys that bite me. <laughs> he says, no, it's all right. I won't bother you. I said, he'll throw, he'll throw me on my lines off. He says, don't worry about him. Just here's what you do. If he bites you, you grab him by the neck and you bite him. I said, what? <laughs> he says, you bite the monkey on the neck. Don't hurt him. I said, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll do my own thing. I'm I'm pretty good with animals. I'll tell them to shut up. He'll shut up. <laughs> we get into the scene. We're working at it. We do our lines. And the monkey starts biting me. And I hear, bite the monkey. <laughs> and I'm saying, why does he bite the monkey? <laughs> we finish the scene. I said, see how quiet he got now? He says, we got to change. Look at yourself. The monkey had peed on me. <laughs> so I said, uh, oh, well, we'll get it. We change our clothes. We get back into the thing. Uh, we work the shot again. The monkey starts biting me. I hear, bite the monkey. Bite the monkey. I said, no, no, no. The monkey stops. We finish the scene. He said, we've got to do it again. Said, What's the matter? He says, he, you'll pardon the expression, he shit on you. <laughs> I looked down, my clothes are ruined, my wardrobe is getting run out. <laughs> he says, try it one more time. You go through the scene, the monkey starts biting me. I grab him by the neck, and I bite him on the neck. And they said, he shuts up. He doesn't say another word. I finished the scene. It's perfect. I said, how do you like that? 
I says, that's wonderful. He says, so whenever you think you know something more than somebody else in this business, you're wrong. Bite the monkey. (laughs) It's a a lesson in life, right? Right, Dick? It, it, It was a lesson. It was... It's a good thing to learn in Hollywood. There's always some producer that should get a little bite. Yeah. <laughs> Gilbert, you work so, with a monkey. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I I worked with a monkey in, um, oh, first, I think it was first on, I was it on, oh, it was on Up All Night. Right. And then I auditioned. Uh, it was the three orangutans, <laughs> and they were going to do a show called Mr. Smith. And and I guess one of the orangutans didn't like me, so they didn't hire me for that. But um, you, okay, you were in a movie that's a favorite here, and that's The Terror with Boris Karloff and a totally unknown actor named Jack Nicholson. And Jack was beautiful in that. <laughs> he was really lousy actor. <laughs> Well, Gilbert said on numerous occasions that you wouldn't think that Jack Nicholson was going to have this storied career if you look at his work in those movies. It's terrible. He, he, the next picture, he was brilliant. Yeah. He went, he went on to, to do this fabulous, fabulous career. Yeah. You, you look at those early films he did, and you think, Jack Nicholson better find another line of work. Because acting isn't it. But now in the terror, everyone who talks, everyone involved in it says there's no story. No one knows what the hell the movie is about. So they made, they put in a scene where Jack Nicholson throws you against the wall and you have to somehow explain the story. I do a wonderful job in about... Two minutes, I tell the whole story, what's what's supposed to be the story. (laughs) That was beautiful. And I I remember when I watched that, I thought, the movie made no sense before, but after that explanation, it makes even less sense. (laughs) (laughs) What was Boris Karloff like to work with? He was beautiful. This is a a gentleman. He was... He's, he could barely walk. I mean, he, he goes up and down the stairs. We we shut shoot. We get him up four steps. They say, just come down the last four steps. That's all. Looks like he came down a long flight. He was a, a wonderful man. And yeah. and with that movie, I heard it was that they had this castle left over from one of their A pictures. Yeah. And Boris Karloff owed them three days' work, so they figured, well, we just film him. We don't care if we have a movie or not. Film Karloff. That was probably it. Uh, he was working on a picture for Roger Corman. They finished the picture early, and he had a, about three days left on the contract, and uh, Roger wanted to use him again. And they said, well, what will we shoot? He said, it doesn't matter. We got this, we got costumes, we got this castle, we got these huge rooms. You just be there and we'll move you around. 
And that was it. We shot it. They they shot for over the weekend, and they had no story. Right. <laughs> there really wasn't a story. They had no script, nothing. It wasn't until about three months later, I got a call from Roger, and he says, we're going to shoot it. We're going to finish that picture. I said, what picture? He says, the terror. I said, what's the terror? <laughs> said, we worked with Boris Karloff for a, a couple of days. He says, well, we finally got a script on it. I said, okay. That was it. They were, the thing was, was, it was done in like in two parts. It wasn't Coppola? Didn't Francis Ford Coppola work on the second part, Dick? Pardon me? Didn't Francis Ford Coppola work on the second part when, when yes, Roger he, resumed? Yes, he did. Uh, I think it was his first picture. Uh, he, uh, he was a nice young guy. <laughs> Went on to great things. And and I heard that they just basically got Karloff in there and said, uh, okay, uh, walk over to that side of the room and shake your head. And they give him directions like that. <laughs> That's really what happened. There was just there was no no script at all. They had a few lines they made up. Uh, they gave them a few lines. Uh, they said, "Walk here, walk there, <laughs> come down the stairs, change your costume, come down the stairs." <laughs> oh, and I heard you wrote a Jerry Lewis movie. Oh yeah, Laney's reacting. <laughs> we should we should tell our listeners that we can see Dick. We're on Skype, and we can see Dick and his wife Laney, and she's reacting to, to all of these yeah. questions. Yeah, she kind of cringed. <laughs> I wrote a little thing called "Which Way to the Front." Uh, I hate to say it now, but it wasn't written for Jerry Lewis. It was a, a very very funny picture. Did you have anybody in mind that you wrote it for, Dick, or was it just? I was just writing scripts, and uh-huh. uh, whoever it was, it would have been perfect for you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment. This would have been beautiful if you had done it. And uh, somebody talked me out of, out of it. They said, we got somebody for it. And I said, okay, fine. And I saw the ends in the trade papers. Uh, which way to the front, which way to the front, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't mentioned. And when the picture came out, I said, something's wrong here. We took it to the union, and they finally gave it to me. Uh, after, after Jerry Lewis got it, and he changed it from the Pacific Theater of War to the European Theater of War with Hitler and the Nazis and everybody else. And, uh, yeah, that was it. That's why I cringe, because he actually had to litigate you know, uh, to get his credit. You had to go to the Writers Guild. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Just talk about, uh, while we wait for Gilbert to find the men's room, <laughs> we promise we'll come back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. And now back to the show. A little bit about since Roger's coming up so much, and we actually had Roger on this show, Dick. He was one of our first guests. And I'd also like to say that when Gilbert and I started the podcast, one of the first names we wrote down was your name, was Dick Miller. We said if we're, if we're going right. to – what's that? Did you spell it right. Yes, we did. 
<laughs> we said if we're going to do a show about the history of Hollywood and cult movies and all the things we love, you've got to have Dick Miller on the show. So we're glad we finally have you here. But tell us a little bit about first meeting Roger, because you uh, you went to L.A., you went to Hollywood to write, to write science fiction stories, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd been working in New York for a band leader named uh, uh, Bobby Sherwood, and uh, we closed down for the summer. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm not sticking around here. And watched both of us starve to death. <laughs> go out to California. I, I can, you know, I go out there for, for a few months. I came out here and I was writing. And uh, I, I wrote my tail off. Were you and writing friend, short stories, screenplays? What were you writing in particular? I was writing screenplays. Uh-huh. I didn't. I had never written one. I didn't know why. Even my fourth one had been thrown. But uh, a friend of mine was working for Roger Corman, who had just, by the way, had only made about two pictures at the time. And uh, he was going out to him, and he says, "Come on out with me." He says, "We'll talk about your writing. Maybe we could sell him something." I said, "Okay, good deal." We got out there. We blah blah blah. We're talking. He says, "Where are you from?" I I'm from New York. He says, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a writer. He says, ah, it's too bad. He says, uh, we don't need writers. He says, we could use some actors. I said, I'm an actor. I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done a picture. Right. You, know. you, had, you had no formal acting training? I had some, but mm-hmm. not, not for movies. Right. I, I went to theater school of dramatic arts in New York when I was a, when I was a kid. So uh, uh, about two weeks later, I got a call from him. Just come on, and you're going to work as an actor. I never told him I didn't work it. But, uh, I, 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 I played an Indian, thank God. An Apache now, woman. Yeah, now in that picture, you played the Indian, and then what did Roger Corman say to you afterwards after you completed your Indian filming? I, I don't know what I don't. Oh, he what, he wanted you. He asked you to play a cowboy. Oh, yes. Oh, an Apache woman. Yes. Yeah. This wasn't over. This was the same picture. Yeah. <laughs> in an Indian, and we worked on it for a couple of about three, four days. Is in India. I finished the part, and Roger said, uh, "I'd just like to do a cowboy." I said, "Shoot another picture." He says, "No, in the same picture." <laughs> He's just playing an Indian for you. He says you had makeup on. No, no, no. <laughs> so I came back the next day and I played a townsman. Oh, I love it. And did I think you wind up shooting yourself? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, the townsman <laughs> shoots the Indian, so you we shoot had, yourself. We had the Indian die in it. He just died. He just shot <laughs> big battle. Nobody ever. We never saw the upper. Opposite side, and now I'm on the. He says you gotta go out with the with the people, with the posse. Gonna get to fight with the Indians. I said, what happens if I shoot myself? And you did. I did. Yeah. And you made a, you started making a lot of pictures for Corman at that point. And I think one of the things Gilbert and I love is not of this earth, where you played the vacuum cleaner salesman. Yes. Where you, you, you actually changed your dialogue. 
because you'd had a little bit of experience as a door-to-door salesman. Am I right? I sometimes uh, I changed my dialogue. Came with came with that picture. Up until then, I was everything was letter perfect. I came up there. I said, "Roger, the guys don't talk like this." You know. He says, "Well, we got." It. I said, "Let me just add a little bit," and it worked. And on the next picture, I ad libbed a little more. On the next picture, I ad libbed a little more. And pretty soon, I was writing. <laughs> I was writing the script. <laughs> I worked. And and another movie that's a favorite of all your fans, and that's a bucket of blood. Walter right. Paisley. And and that that movie, it's like you're a nibbish who hangs out in this cool beatnik bar, yeah. and you're you're never the cool guy there. And and then it, <laughs> as I remember, uh, the landlady's cat gets trapped under your wall somehow, and to get the cat out, you shove a knife through the wall. <laughs> And accidentally wind up killing the cat. Poor cat. Yeah. And then you cover it with clay, and everyone thinks it's the greatest sculpture in the world, and you become like the talk of the community. Well, you told that much of the picture. How does it end? I'm interested. But what do you remember about making that one? I, I love that picture. This was, uh, except for the money. Yeah. I never had much money. No. But this was a classic. It was, I, I, I really think it's one of the best things Roger ever done as a director. And I think the story was there and I think everything was there. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, some of the statues looked a little like models. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun little satire, that movie. You know, it's smart. It's a lot of fun to watch. It is. And, I oh, this actor, Ed, Ed Nelson, is in it. Yeah. He went on, to, he did something else, did a couple of series, and uh, he had a nice career. I'd love yeah. to bring up War of the Satellites, uh, Dick, because that because that movie, if I have the story right, that's the movie that Lainey, your wife, who's sitting next to you, saw you in. Do we have this story right? That's right. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh yes. And what did I, you what did you say, Lainey, when you saw him up on the big screen? Oh, my infamous line, especially for a little Toronto Jewish girl. <laughs> I, I swear, that guy could. Put his shoes under my bed any time. Same country at the time. Right. Yeah, and, and you are on a date with a guy when yeah. you said this. I love it. <laughs> and you would go, you wouldn't go ahead. Then I came down to Hollywood. Right. And I was introduced to him in Schwab's drugstore. Oh, yes. You met, that's right. You met, was it two years later after you'd said that in the movie theater? About? Well, let's see. Yeah, I, about, that I, about that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice Hollywood story. It's a nice Hollywood romance, the way it worked out. And you are also in another favorite of ours, and that's The Man with the X-Ray Eyes with Ray Milland. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Don uh, Rickles. I'm- 
I've got to remember these things when you come up with them. There's a lot of pictures. Oh, I know, I know. Oh, yeah. Well, you did so many. Yeah. What do you remember uh, about Rickles in that movie or Ray Milland, Dick? Don Rickles, I remember. I, I knew Don from New York, uh, the great insult comic. Uh, he said, uh, they came over to him after the uh, summer season shot. He says, I don't know what to do with this guy. He says, he and his partner are ad-libbing. <laughs> we were ad-libbing then. <laughs> are ad-libbing funny lines. He says, what do I do with him? Nice. <laughs> and what about Raymond Land? Another gentleman. Another gentleman. Fine, fine, fine actor. Yeah, won an Oscar for The Lost Weekend. And when you were offered Little Shop of Horrors, you thought that the character was a little bit too much like the character in Bucket of Blood, and you decided to pass up the, the lead? Or pass, uh, pass up the part? I was offered the lead in that. Mm-hmm. It's, it seemed like uh, we were doing the bucket of blood again, and uh, there weren't very many uh, uh, series of pictures then. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't do uh, bucket of blood one, bucket of blood two. You know. So right. I said, oh, I don't want to do this character. Uh, I, it's a good chance for me to pay back the actor who introduced me to Roger, Jonathan Hayes. So I said, why don't you give the part to Jonathan? I'll do anything else in the picture, and I don't. Uh, I won't do the lead. And you wound and up she, playing the guy that eats flowers. So sorry. Who was going to make? going to make another picture like this. It was going to be a Broadway show. It was going to have hits. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And and you worked with another one of our guests, uh, Bruce Stern, a number of times. Yeah, I've worked with Bruce a few times. The trip for uh, one. Bucket, uh, no, but uh, was that was a massacre. Uh, right. The trip. The trip. Yeah, that's the one yeah. where Roger took acid. Yeah, with, that's right. With Peter Fonda. Yeah. Yeah, I watched the two of them get high. <laughs> Were you around? We talked to Roger about this. Were you around when he when he took acid uh, on the on the set of the trip? No, no. <laughs> I I still doubt it. <laughs> and and before you were an actor, you were a boxer at one time. No, I, I was in the navy during the war. Yeah, yeah. I'm not old, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, I I decided to. To try something, it's a little boring what we were doing. I decided to go out for the boxing team. I never boxed, never tried anything like it. And uh, they uh, they gave me a fight and I, I won. Uh, they gave me another fight and I won. By then they decided there were no people in this class. I weighed 112 pounds. I was a flyweight. Uh, they said the only ones we got are these little Filipino mess cooks. Uh, <laughs> there's nobody to fight. <laughs> we'll make you the champ. In two fights, I was made champ. And I had two more fights. And I was champ of those. <laughs> the last fight, that guy beat my brains out. I was bleeding from every orifice. <laughs> 
Wow. And I said, I don't want to fight anymore. <laughs> and I quit. And you never got cast as a boxer in your long career, interestingly. No, no. And you... Well, you cast the pedophile, and he doesn't do that in real life. Yeah, right. <laughs> what, 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 what was that movie? He was, a ped- was he a pedophile priest? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what was the movie, Dick? <laughs> I forgot his name. It was with the guy who won the award from Dust Boot. Yeah. And uh, a German female star. I can't remember the name of the movie. Our, our listeners will come up with it. Priest. And you, because you, you did a bunch of films for American International, which was a really low-budget company, and you used to go up for auditions and meetings and they would ask you what you've done. And remember, and you would have you tell them America. I worked for American International Pictures, and what? How did they react to that? Uh, I I I think I got the the, the long promise. They said uh, we'll get in touch with you. The long promise. <laughs> Never heard from him again. So American International was basically the kiss of death of getting something <laughs> good. <laughs> it was. I'll tell you a funny thing. American International then was the kiss of death. But they see that these pictures have held up for 50, oh, yeah. 60 years. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some and, of them are quite good. And uh, they don't remember the other pictures. From the big studios, from the guys who said they would call me, I never did. <laughs> Dick, I've heard you say you're a bad auditioner. Why is that? Uh, again, it's it's. I guess it's the ad libbing. Uh, I, I I I don't really feel a part right away. Yeah. I I like to go into into it slowly or something, you know. Right. I I really I've never been wrong. I've never really been wrong in this. My, my my judgment seems to be right. Did you ever do any method acting? I mean, I'd be curious to know what you're what you're feeling about that is. Are you kind of a guy that reads the script, shows up, and hits his marks? That's it. Yeah. But the thought process is in there. Right. Now, you, I guess we have this in common. You also worked with the Ramones. Uh, you in Rock and Roll High School. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that was... We, uh, the Ramones were there. Uh, I remember when I was playing a police chief and uh, we, we were shooting on a high school that's long been condemned. And uh, it's a dangerous neighborhood if you don't know the, uh, the, the area. Uh, and I was told uh, by the assistant director, he came over and he said, don't wear your coat. Don't wear your coat until we're ready to shoot. And like that, I said, why? He says, you may get shot. <laughs> it's a nice neighborhood. <laughs> the Ramones again, again. They had a, a, a follower with them called a clown or something. Uh, and he would run errands for them and do things for them. And uh, there was a little girl and we were shooting at night and uh, she, she was uh, going to have a birthday. And they said, we're going to celebrate your birthday at 12 o'clock. 
And uh, she's nice. We cut up a cake, we'll have a thing. And they brought in this beautiful cake. And this schmuck, he ran over to the cake, the clown, and he starts with both hands. He dove and he smears it all over his face. And the Ramones broke up. They thought he was hysterical. And I said, what are you going to do about the cake? You asked me once why I never boxed. This was one time I was boxing. <laughs> and I grabbed the guy by the collar and I said, you're going to go out and get a cake for this girl right now. He says, it's 11 o'clock at night. We're in a dangerous neighborhood. Where am I going to get a cake? I said, I don't care. You're going to get a cake. <laughs> Great story. He got a cake. Oh, good for you, Dick. But I never boxed again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but but suffice it to say, you, you came away uh, unimpressed with the Ramones. Uh, he, thought, he thought they were ugly. Yeah, oh, that's, that's on record. What an ad-lib. There's my ad-lib. Right. I had this long, long speech at the end. And it went on and on. And the camera goes out of me and I said, they're ugly. And it was it. And you were in a movie that was like, uh, like basically a black exploitation movie, TNT Jackson. Oh, he wrote the screenplay for yeah. TNT oh, you Jackson. Wrote the screenplay. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I forgot. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm here for, Dick. <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. I wrote a nice little picture. I'm going to shoot it in the Philippines, and. Uh, Halfway through it, I got into an argument or something with Roger. I wish I could remember that. Uh, I'll never forget. He wanted to rewrite, and you did not want to rewrite. Oh, yeah. Lainey remembers. Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and uh, we just called it quits kind of in the middle of it. And I had a good part in it. I had written myself the lead in it, the, the white lead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so I didn't never did it, but he uh, he apologized. I never forget this. He didn't even wait twenty four hours. He called up that night. He said, "I'm sorry." Uh, he says, "But uh, that." Roger apologized for rewriting your script. But, uh, he was apologized for he had in the when the the argument happened. Roger got up from the desk. He doesn't wear shoes. It's such a little known fact about Roger. <laughs> Interesting. And he walked, he, he walked, he kicked a lamp or something, he broke a lamp and he walked out of the office in his stocking feet. And that's what he apologized for. He was, he was a swell guy. You guys have been friends a long time. Yeah. Both Gilbert yeah. and I watched the documentary, uh, Dick. We watched uh, that guy, Dick Miller which we have to recommend to our listeners. It's a hoot. Oh, by all means. Tell them where they can get one. <laughs> Laney? Yes. At GuyDickMiller.com, we have them for sale. Okay. And we appreciate if you want to get one that you go there to get it because it helps us mitigate our costs. I know some people have gone to Amazon or here or there, but we'd appreciate if you get it from us. Okay, so we'll, we'll repeat that. So go if you want to see the documentary, which is terrific, all about uh, Dick's career, 
and his his history with Roger and Joe Dante and everybody else, go to thatguydickmiller.com. And it, it's a perfect title because as anyone, if anyone listening now doesn't know the name Dick Miller, you just Google it and look at your face and everyone goes, oh, that guy. Yeah, that's right. It's up there. It just got nominated for the uh, Rondo Hatton Classic <laughs> Horror Award. The, yeah. There's a Rondo Hatton Award? <laughs> I love it. The fourteenth is the fourteenth annual year for it. So if everybody wants oh, yeah. to go and vote for it, how do you nice. how do you do this? It's online. Okay. If, if you go to thatguydickmiller.com and down at the other than the store for where you're buying the um, the DVD, down at the bottom is the uh, link to go to the Facebook. That guy didn't know the Facebook, and you will see a cinematographer put up there the uh, thing from this award, and it tells you just how to do it. You do it right online. Have to do it. The and, Rondo Hatton Award. And for anyone out there uh, unfamiliar with Rondo Hatton, he was a guy with acromegaly that would distorted his whole face and body, and so they would cast him. In these uh, horror movies where they didn't need to make him up. Yeah, he was the creeper. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Was, and the funny part was he was he was the sweetest guy in the world. Oh, you knew you Rondo knew Hatton? Rondo Hatton? Wow. Wait a minute. I met, him, I met him 50 years ago, so I don't even know when he died or anything. Tell us about Rondo Hatton. I never met anyone who knew Rondo Hatton. Nothing. I, there's nothing I can tell you about him. I, I met him at, uh, at a, I think it was some kind of a social function. and uh, They let him come to those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they unleashed him. <laughs> but he was a nice guy, Rondo Hatton? Nice guy. He, they never let him speak. He, he, he uh, very rarely had... It's a fascinating character, Dick. I'm going to make you. I'm going to force you to jog your memory. There's a scene in the in the documentary where you're opening a drawer of unproduced screenplays. Oh, do you? Yeah. Can you tell us what uh, help? There's a spy in my bed. Oh, well, that's a good comedy. Yeah. Well, you got a backer. <laughs> you never know. I, I just sell it cheap. <laughs> love the title and also there was one called rancho bikini which yeah, that, I, i'm thinking of making that yeah one. yeah my wife wants to produce that one yeah uh, i'm and, thinking of i love it and you were in a couple you worked on a couple of movies i guess borderline porn for their day like night oh. school nurses or night call nurses well there was yeah. student nurses too yeah yeah i did a series of the American International Series. They <laughs> <laughs> call nurses, the student nurses, the naked nurses, the almost naked nurses. <laughs> there were more. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where where we are in Radio Land, where you can say dirty words. Oh, well, it's a oh, podcast. You can say whatever you want. Anything you want to say. There were more, more titties shown in those pictures. <laughs> So they weren't porn in those days. Right. 
So, so these were as close as you could have gotten to porn back then. These. <laughs> There's also that scene in the documentary. Is it Demon Knight, the one with the tales, the tales from the Crypt movie? Yes. Where you're yeah. surrounded by topless women, and I heard girls, twenty topless girls, and me. <laughs> it's not a bad way to make a living, huh? It was a vacation for him. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> How many reshoots did you want to do on that? <laughs> it scene? took about 17, 18 takes. <laughs> good old One Take Miller. Yeah, t- tell us where One Take Miller came from. It came from One Take. <laughs> because Roger didn't have the money to do two takes? No, he, he always had money for two and three takes. But I always got, got it in one. Uh-huh. And you were in a movie... Called, I think called Evil Tune. Oh, yeah. Evil Tunes. I, I know the Ray title. Allen Ray. Oh yeah. Tell oh, us. Yeah. Tell us the plot of that one. I don't know. Because <laughs> I there's. I would, and I would get a call, come in and do my stuff and get out. There, there's <laughs> one scene, and they said it was it was too much even for you. <laughs> there was one scene. You're standing there. And there's a pretty girl in front of you. And then she opens her mouth and she's got giant fangs. And then she disappears out of view, like getting down on her knees. (laughs) So basically, she she gives you a, well, let's let's put it frankly, a very deadly (laughs) blowjob. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. It's <laughs> coming back. With blowjob, you remembered it. So. Frankly, <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> My wife's sitting right next to me. What do you want? Exactly. Say? What's he supposed to say? <laughs> now, what was it like shooting that one? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I seem to have that one scene in my mind. <laughs> there's there's another scene in the doc where you guys, and, and Lainey, it's, it's kind of touching, where you talk about that even though Dick was working constantly, you know, that Roger never had any money. You guys always struggled financially. You couldn't take a honeymoon. You couldn't even go on a vacation. And then finally you went and you joined Dick on set of a, of a Western that Roger was directing. Called uh, well, it was directing it. Yes. What's that? Yeah, that's the one where he was replaced by the studio. By right. Phil Carlson. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of those things. Uh, yeah. Roger, that was our honeymoon. Yeah. That was our honeymoon. Yeah. I, I, I think Roger should get a get a free ride on this. Roger was still in that shoot it for a lot less money, and he had a big budget then. He had all kinds of cranes and all kinds of. Uh, camera equipment and he said we don't need those i can uh, put this thing up on a on a roof shoot down get the same effect you're not moving it and he did and they said uh, and then he said uh, in fact take the other dolly the other high crane and, and get it back to the studio why don't we need two pieces of equipment that are identical mm-hmm. and they didn't like it mm-hmm some guy there was uh, figuring out the budget and figured out this much and figured out that much. And uh, they sent the men over in the suits. 
and they uh, they had a a meeting that night. And I said, Roger, I got to go up and see him. Uh, you know, these and they said, and the prop man said, I don't think you ought to go up to yeah, the skies of the suits are up there, and uh, they may see you, and they may recognize you, and might might not be good for your career. I said, come on, that's, you know. I said worse than that, but I said, uh, come on. <laughs> and uh, so I went up, went up to see him. Yeah, he, uh, he says I'm being replaced. Yeah, by Phil Carlson. Yeah. Yeah. And did, did that, you, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Phil Carlson went to work, and I got hurt. Oh yeah, you injured you injured your your tailbone or something on the shooting of that film. Yeah, yeah, broke some bones in the bottom of my tail, so uh, I finished the picture that way. And in 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 the documentary, uh, that guy Dick Miller once again, they talk about, and it's hard to believe nowadays that at one time there weren't cell phones. And so you used to stay home, right? Yeah. Just to yeah. Oh yeah, that was it. I was I, I, the old story. I, you know, I'm waiting for the phone call. I'm waiting for the phone call. But I knew that if my phone rang, I got the job. That's yeah. nice. So you would sit by the phone pretty much 24 hours a day, because if you were out, you'd miss the call. That was it. I stayed by that phone. If we went out of town and he got a call, he'd leave and go back. We went to Hawaii. His older brother was teaching criminology there at the time. We went to visit. He got a call and he left me there. (laughs) (laughs) Work was important. Of course. And also... um, for any anybody who's seen um, Pulp Fiction, don't uh, most of them don't realize at one point you were in Pulp Fiction. At one point, I was. Yes, I, um, I met uh, uh, Tarantino. Uh, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Out of the screen. Is that his name? Unbelievable! You shot the scene. Harvey Geitel and I, beautiful little scene. Uh, we went to the cast and crew screening, and we get out on a lot. That's fine. And I go to get a theater. And she says, "I don't see your name here." I said, "What do you mean?" I'm a minute. Come on, I walked in, and Tarantino uh, says, "Hi, uh, you're not in the picture." And he goes on. I said, "What?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, you're not in the picture." That was it. I was. Just, that's how they notify you. Yeah, you're in the DVD, the special edition. And yes. Yeah. That, that, that was a, a very nice man, I think. Well, it's a nice uh, scene. Nice, worth, worth watching. And it's you and Harvey Keitel are so perfect together. Yeah. Yeah. He's a gentleman. <laughs> really? Tell us yeah. about Harvey Keitel. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> Who's the bigger gentleman, Harvey or Rondo Hatton? <laughs> now, you were in the Dirty Dozen. I said, yeah. Were you in the Dirty Dozen? I saw it listed somewhere. I think you did the voice work. 
Oh, uh, that's probably some voice work. Uh, yeah. The, my my the list of films I made goes between. Uh, it's got every everything in it. Sometimes I've just did some voice work uh, for the picture. So uh, it's like uh, 150 to uh, 175 films, maybe 25 or so. Uh, I don't think it's that many, but I know that on Dirty Dozen, you did the voice work. Yeah. I mean, some Superman stuff, he did the voice work. Superman? Yeah. Superman, Batman, I did those. He did a lot of... Oh, yeah, Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a a Batman picture. And you used to be billed as Richard Miller. Yeah, when I first started, I was Richard Miller. Then uh, I, second, third, I forget which picture it was. Uh, I just, it was later than that because uh, all of your Roger stuff, if you look in yeah. the office. Yeah. Uh, then I switched to Dick and uh, we wouldn't have that subtitle if I didn't do that. When you see this picture, after you see this picture, you'll know Dick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good tagline. <laughs> What's the story of the pink jacket, Dick? The, the oh, pink the sport pink jacket. jacket. Well, again, Roger's uh, inability to furnish all the wardrobe, but you know, if I fit it into his clothes, I, I'd have had the wardrobe, but I didn't fit into it. Uh, I used to bring my own clothes, and I wore this pink jacket, beautiful jacket. Yeah. I still have it. Uh Patch pockets, plaids, uh, pleats in it, and beautiful. And the uh, next picture was something I needed another jacket for. I had the pink jacket came out. I wore the pink jacket in about six or seven pictures. I love it. And I think they started calling you Mr. Pink Jacket after a no, while. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's talk about your pal Joe Dante, Dick, who we had, we just had, Gilbert and I just had on this show. Joe Dante, yeah, he's a sweetheart. Yeah, I know we we were kind of moved by when he when he got the the shot to make. I, I'm trying to remember if it was Hollywood Boulevard or Piranha, maybe both. And he said, if I only get to make, if it turns out I only get to make one movie in my career, I have to have Dick Miller in it. Uh yeah, I, I know the story. Uh, at the time, I didn't know it. Uh, I didn't know it for a long, long time, as a matter of fact. Uh, Joe's the kind of guy, uh, he's always there. He's from New Jersey. uh, He's he's a little Italian guy. He's beautiful. (laughs) And uh, I remember I I had cancer and a few other things. uh, And I'd wake up in the hospital and Joe would be there. He just came to see me. Wow. He's been at our family weddings. He's been, he's become, uh, really, he's become like a son. Yeah. He's a good guy. I I don't know how that developed like that, but we're very, very close. Wow. That's nice to hear. And you've done so much good work, and and, uh, we love you in the howling where you're the curio shop owner. Very funny scene. Because you're like this guy who thinks... Who, who has all the stuff there, the silver bullets, the books on the occult, and you yeah. think it's all bullshit. 
<laughs> he's trying a guy trying to make a buck. What? I said he's just a guy trying to make a buck. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But it is my favorite part. It's a small part. It's just uh, it's delightful. I think it's closest to me of any of the parts I've done. It puts the greatest wit in that movie because the rest is all the horror and the occult. And it's this this guy going, that's, you know, it's, I don't believe any of this shit. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about some of the other pictures you made with Joe. Dick, uh, you're in, you're in, obviously you're in Gremlins and Gremlins 2, Murray Futterman. You were in the Burbs. You remember anything about a guy named Brother Theodore when you were making the Burbs? Brother Theodore. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brother Theodore. I would, I, what I first remembered was I said, is this the guy from New York City I used to see in the village uh, 30 years ago? You know, at the time, I guess it was about 30 years ago. And it turned out to be him. He was fabulous. Yeah. They they could never capture this man's, uh, what he was. He used to do all these horror stories. And to, that's it. He would tell a story. He says, he spent the night telling his story. He would just tell these little stories. He's wild. And also Bruce Stern. Again, yeah. Yeah. Bruce is a, he's horrible too. <laughs> And Corey Feldman, a very young Corey Feldman, was in that. Yeah, Corey Feldman, good little Corey Feldman, got high all the time. <laughs> that shocks us. <laughs> Sweet little kid, little teenage kid, getting stoned all the time. <laughs> I love, him. I love him today. I still see, see him once in a while. I love him. He's in the doc. He turns up in the documentary. Yeah. What do you remember about some of these other roles, Quick Dick? And then we'll, we'll let you and Lainey get on with your lives. But uh, you were in the picture. You know this picture, Gil? Executive Action about the JFK assassination? Oh, yes. With Burt Lancaster? <laughs> yes, yes. And Robert Ryan. Do you, know, you remember anything about that making that like one? That was like in the 70s? Yeah. 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 Assassination yeah. conspiracy movie. Uh, I played one of the killers. Uh, we were, uh, the theme was, picture was filmed on the premise that there were more than one killer. Right. And uh, we were all members of the, the team. And we went out to the desert to practice uh, shooting uh, uh, in the story, in the script. We would do this. We were out in the desert shooting. And uh, I went out there a number of years later. Was it you I was telling it? I, yes. Who else was there? <laughs> And I said, come on, let's go up there. And I was looking around. I said, and sure enough, we found cases, cases from the bullets. Yeah, the that, casings. Yeah, they found them. Years old. Yeah. And uh, I heard, uh, when I, I ran into you once before at an autograph convention, and you told a story. You were working on one of your movies, and it was really awful, and you wanted desperately to get off the movie. Do you, do either one of you remember this? And I, I think if I'm not mistaken, you went and got a haircut. He took a, this was in, during the terror. 
he got pissed off and he took off his pass. So when he didn't take her any place. I don't remember a, I don't remember a moil in the terror. Pay us for those who told him to come back. He had a stick phony ones on. Yeah. So you you tried to get out of it by by shaving so they couldn't match it up again. I've done little things like that. And and pay us for people who don't know. That's what Hasidic Jews have those long <laughs> hair that's like the sideburns that goes on. I meant sideburns. Well, yeah, it's the same thing, but long, long sideburns. Yeah. <laughs> now that you mention it, I do look like Mitch Miller. <laughs> There is a resemblance. Now, you, you worked with an actor in a movie. It's in the doc, too, in a movie called The Andersonville Trial. And yeah. you played the court reporter because you. I was telling Gilbert and he, that you draw a little bit, too. Or I, you draw you draw a lot. I draw a lot. I, uh, I went to see it. I think it was uh, George C. Scott's first direct picture. And uh, it went in there. I said, what's the point? Which is part of the club. Uh, the court reporter, and the, everything is drawn in those days, no payment. And I said, you mean like this? And that's exactly what I said. You mean like this? Bang, 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 bang. And I held it up and showed it to George. He says, that's perfect. He says, you got the part. Great. What are your memories of George C. Scott? What about me? <laughs> he was a what? Nobody. <laughs> I knocked Nobody. He was a nice guy. Uh, he didn't lend anything to my character, so. Mm-hmm. And and you work with two two uh, favorites of of Gills and mine, uh, uh, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. And Harry Dean Stanton. We wanted to ask you about those two guys. Uh, Laney uh, just recoiled. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked with some of these people too, so. Uh, that's yeah. right. We should point out that Laney was in The Graduate, that you were an actress too. And tell us uh, the part you played in The Graduate, Laney. Oh, I think that's self explanatory. <laughs> you Okay, okay. I, I played the stripper. <laughs> and you're, you're stripping and gyrating in front of Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> to, to make. Catherine Ross's character upset because he is nailing her mother and he's dating her and he purposely took her out to make her upset. So he took her to this strip place and I played that role. And that's it's an if you're gonna do a film, that's a, that's an iconic film. That's a film to be known for. Guess so. Yeah, that's a film no one will ever forget. But what you worked, you said you worked with some of the people that we mentioned because we just heard of. I worked as a script supervisor for a long time. I see. As well. And um, I worked with uh, Harry Dean Stanton and with Bruce Dern uh, on uh, Down Periscope. So, yeah. Now, Harry Dean Stanton and Dennis uh, Hopper. Hopper. 
I I imagine uh, they were not always uh, totally aware of what was going on around them. I heard. <laughs> I guess they weren't. Uh, <laughs> Dennis, I I imagine was uh, uh, from a different school. Uh, I, I'm not too sure what it was. <laughs> Nice boy, but uh, you know you're an old pro. You don't. I love it. You don't disparage anybody you ever worked with. But I like I like that description of Dennis Hopper as nice boy, but uh. <laughs> here here's somebody who's not in the doc, Dick, but somebody I saw you talk about in an interview. You in the old days, you met Cagney. Oh yeah, yeah, a uh, friend of mine. Uh, Bobby Campbell was a writer. Uh, he was rather successful. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was, uh, he wrote The Man with a Thousand Faces. Oh, yes. Oh, sure. And uh, The Lon Chaney biography. Uh, yeah. And um, while, while he was out there, he said, I said, how's it, I've always been my Cagney, you know. And I said, how is it? Working with Cagney, he said, oh, we did a thing. Uh, he said, took out a, they did something. They, they, they changed a, a huge ballroom into a telephone scene, into a booth, you know. They're saving money or something. Right? He says, hey, you want to come out and meet him? I said, do you think so? He says, yeah, come on out. And we got out there, and uh, we sat in the chairs on a set, and uh, we were talking, and uh just I don't I don't recall any of it now. It was just idle talk. And they said, Mr. Cagney, you ready? And he gets up from his uh, chair, and it's about twenty feet to the set. The set was like a like a rug was the uh, borderline, and he danced all over. He danced at twenty feet. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I didn't know he had danced or anything. He didn't disappoint when you met him. No, no. Nice. He was. <laughs> he was something. And and you worked with a favorite of of all of ours, uh, Abe Vagoda. <laughs> Abe, yeah, poor Abe. He just died. Yeah, we knew him. We loved him. Yeah. Yeah. When I finished the the, the documentary. Oh, no, we were still working on those. Yeah, we were working on Yeah, we were. Towards the end, uh, I got this picture. I didn't know it was just going to turn out to be one scene and wind up as a museum piece. Uh, all over the world, they're showing this this uh, 10 minutes it runs. Yeah, I don't know where it runs. It runs and I think it's about 14 minutes. This, this film... They show all over the world. Every every mu- museum has it, because the woman was a, the director was some kind of a what I don't know what to even call her. Even. Well, she worked for the for the one of the museums in New York, and that's who funded it. Yeah, all right. Uh, I guess it goes. It's a long story short. Uh, and but it included Charlotte Rampling too. Oh, yeah. Charlotte Rampling was in it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I thought it was going to be a long, long picture, uh, and this was a part of. 
And I, we met Abe on it, and uh, he's a nice old man. And yeah. uh, I was a nice old man myself. <laughs> Only, you know, I, the first time I heard you say that. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert just spoke at Abe's service a couple of weeks ago. Oh really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I I I his daughter. His daughter's, his daughter's a nice girl. Carol, oh, yes. Yeah, she, she she's a lovely woman and she invited me to speak at Abe Vagoda's funeral. And that that was that was great. It was just uh when they wheeled his body away, when they wheeled the casket, they played the theme to The Godfather. Oh, oh I God. thought you I thought you were going to say he held up his thumb. <laughs> Old time is a breeze, Because <laughs> he was one of those guys who, like a hundred times over the internet, was declared dead before he ever died. Oh, I know, isn't that something? Yeah, it was a yeah running gag. <laughs> oh, is this one of the Jew hours? Yeah, you can yeah. see the dogs screen. now. Honey, short for Conchita. Conchita. We see a painting of Dick, a portrait of Dick on the wall in the background, too. Is that a self-portrait? I did it. Oh, you did it. Very good. Yep, I did that years and years and years ago. He looks like a badass in that painting, if I may say. He was a badass. (laughs) 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 He looks like an older gentleman to you, but he's still a badass. Yes, he is. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> you guys have been married, what, 55 years now? Do I have the- It'll be 57 in October. 57, I'm way off. Congratulations. Thank you. And, oh, you worked with uh, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did Twilight yeah. Zone the movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that was it. I don't. Um, we worked on something else too, and I don't remember what it was. No, I don't remember too much about that. <laughs> it was something recently. It's 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 a little little thick up here. <laughs> How about Lee Marvin and Glenn Ford? You you shared the screen with them. Any any memories of either one of those guys? Lainey's making a face again. Ice <laughs> <laughs> <Nice> guys. <laughs> Beat you out of stakeout on Dope Street, right? Ray Marvin. Yeah. And you turned it down or something? I don't know. Yeah, that's another little story. Uh, I don't don't know it well enough to say it. Dick Dick doesn't tell stories out of school. Yeah, he should have done stakeout on Dope Street. Yep. What do you got, Gil? Anything? I'm running. Oh, I'm out of cards for I, this man. I think I am too. There's, there's oh, oh, oh. Matt, <laughs> matinee. Oh, let's talk about matinee real quick. Since we're talking about Joe Dante. Yeah. Sweet that film. Was, what do you like to know? <laughs> <laughs> Anything you you care to talk about, Dick? <laughs> John Goodman. Well, and John Goodman, yeah. Worked with John Goodman. And, yeah, uh, the, he was he, he was supposed to be um, William uh, Castle. William Castle. Yeah. 
the great Chillman movie director. It was. It was, it was a good, uh, good impression of him. Uh, the part was, uh, that was it. I did the, again, I, we did what we could. And you worked with Steven Spielberg in 1941. He did. And Martin Scorsese, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah there's yeah, two uh, versions of that uh, 1941. One I'm in, one I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I like that picture. I mean, it's much maligned. But it's yeah. got a lot of good in it. Do you remember anything about working with Spielberg or Scorsese? Uh... Not really. Or Sam Fuller. Uh, Sam Fuller. White Dog. White Dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. I, I begged to get on that picture because of Fuller. I said, I want to be on Bite the Monkey picture. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be titled that, but uh, it was a good title at the time. Uh, and I heard that uh, Sam Fuller was going to direct this thing, and I, I wanted to know what it was like to be with this guy that was, said was a madman, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I got this little part of the veterinarian. And uh, that's all I remember about the picture. He was an eccentric character, Sam Fuller, yeah. but made so many good films. He made the delightful films. He was really... Uh, Shock Carter and Pick Up on South Street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. a bunch of others. What else do we have for Dick, Gilbert? Wow. I, I think... We couldn't even get him to disparage Jerry Lewis. Right, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what a cla- that's what a class act he is. Dick, there's 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 also uh, there's a there's a scene in the in the movie that confused me a little bit because it goes by so fast. Does somebody from Disney approach you when you were a kid, seeing if you wanted oh, to be an actor? We came out to California uh, when the war broke out. Uh, my mother, my brother, and I, uh, and uh, I was drawing then, uh, and. Uh, I forget who the kid was at the time. Uh, there was a, a young boy who was a big star at Disney. And uh, some guy came out, uh, came to my house and everything, and they wanted me to be in a studio. They wanted me to be, I thought, to replace this kid or to work with him or whatever it was. I was going to be the new Disney boy. And... Uh, I found out there was, a, as an actor, I said, you mean I'm not going to be an artist? I'm not going to be an animator? I was really excited about going to work for them. That was it. So you turned down a shot at being a child actor, never having yeah. never having any notion or idea that years later you would become an acting legend. Well, I became a legend because I was, I was writing and... Uh, uh, when I got out of the service, it all started there. Uh, I, I, I used up my 5220 money in the first year. Uh, and uh, I figured, what do they got here? They said, oh, I can get an education. I, I ought to see what one of these schools get because I'll get some money to boot. 
And I, I looked it up and I saw in the newspapers uh, upholsterers, uh, guys who made seat covers and couches and stuff like that, were making good money. Were making, you should pardon the expression at the time, $60 a week. <laughs> so, this was when, when the war was over, uh, a $30 a week job was, was that very good. You know, the guys were running a, a whole family on that kind of money. I said, I'm going to be an upholsterer. This is wild. And I uh, went down to the school, and I filled out all the papers, and uh, I said, well, here I am. I'm ready for that $60 a week job. The guy says, you got to go to school, you know. He says, uh, he says, we'll see you. We'll see you. Uh, you, you, you. You start school in two weeks. Uh, see you at 8 o'clock in the morning. We're going to have that. I said, wait a second. Not 8 o'clock in the morning. I said, I'll take a night in night school. He said, we don't have any more night schools. I said, what? What? He said, no, we don't have that many students that we have to have the night school. I said, that's not good. What am I going to do? It was a New York school of upholstery. And I looked in a pamphlet I had from the Veterans Administration. And right next to the New York School of Upholstery was the New York School of Dramatic Arts. And I, I just, the first number, I called up, I said, you got classes starting? He says, yeah, two weeks. I said, what do you teach? Acting, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'll be down. Well, wait a second. What time do your classes start? He says you can get uh, 9 o'clock in the morning or you can get uh, 11 o'clock in the morning just before lunch. I said, I'll take that class. <laughs> that class. I'll be right down. That's the one year I spent as an actor. Interesting. So, so you became an actor because you didn't want to get up early. That's it. I became an actor because I didn't want to give up. That's $60 a week. And the question is, whether he's working or not, he's up real early. Yeah. Always. Yeah, well, so act movie acting, you have to be up at 5 o'clock in the morning. So I didn't the irony of it. I didn't go to bed till 3 o'clock in the morning mm. in those days. I used to, in Times Square... I, I would wait for Sammy Davis Jr. And he and Earl Barton and myself would walk up and down uh, Broadway. We're doing songs from On the Town. We're going on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, what did you say? You worked with Sammy Davis Jr.? No, I never worked with him. He was a friend. Oh, really? Yeah. So you used to hang out with Sammy Davis Jr. and pal around? Yeah. I was... Uh, I thought we were going off in so many directions. I was a band boy for Bobby Sherwood for about, uh, I, I had quit a job. God, I got to, you got the time. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, Sher Bobby Sherwood was a New York band leader? Yeah. Bobby Sherwood, Elks Parade, Sherwood's Forest. Some great numbers. Some of the greatest numbers I've heard. Uh, I had worked for uh, 
I had taken a job in Saks Fifth Avenue, and uh, I worked uh, as a stock boy. We used to go up in, into the bathroom, smoke cigarettes, and put them down on the ledge of the window because uh, we, we didn't want to smoke. We'd go, we had two minutes or something. And next to me, I used to see St. Patrick's Cathedral. But now yeah, I'm seeing it from four or five stories up. And it's beautiful. You've never seen St. Patrick's Cathedral, I believe. And we used to see the, the birds, the swan, uh, the, the doves swooping back and forth up there. They're beautiful. And I worked about a week and a half. I had it. I couldn't stand it. I was down there delivering stuff to stock rooms, from the stock room to the, to the counters, and I wanted to get out of it. I'm in the bathroom smoking a cigarette, and I hear this long rumble. It's and it gets louder, and it sounds like the pigeons are free. The pigeons are free. The pigeons are free. It was coming from me. I was mumbling. <laughs> the pigeons were free. Several <laughs> birds flying around St. Patrick's Cathedral. I ran down from the fourth floor, down the stairs. I always took the elevator. I ran down, ran out of Saks Fifth Avenue, all the way up to Fifth, to the boulevard, and I headed north to the park, Central Park. And only in New York did they do this. A cop sees me coming, running, he stops traffic. He stops traffic so I can run across the street. And it was Brooklyn's tried. And I fell down in the grass and I cried. I, tears were pouring out of me. I said, I can't go on with this. I can't just be working. And I went home. And I got a phone call from, uh, I think it's Goldfarber, Goldberg or something, who was a band boy for Benny Goodman. He says, we need a band boy. Can you, can you make an interview? I said, I don't know from band boys. He says, you don't do anything. You carry an instrument. You put it down. You, you, you lay out the music. That's all you do. I said, okay. I go, well, it turned out to be nicer than that. Bobby Sherwood didn't have a band. He wanted somebody to carry his horn and his guitar from show to show, he was doing the Bird Park show. He was doing the Bobby Shepard show. And I said, I can do this. What do I do? He says, just carry my, my guitar. Bobby Shepard is over six feet tall. He used to tuck that little trumpet under his arm and carry it. And I'd walk with him carrying his big Gibson guitar. <laughs> I'm only five foot four. Five, five. Thing used to bang on the floor. I said, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> I said, I can be a band boy. I said, I'm not doing any of the things. We go from one show to another show a couple of times a week. We do a disc jockey show. He says, all right, 
I'll tell you what, you carry guitar, you carry the trumpet, I'll carry the guitar. That's the kind of band boy I was. I forgot what the original question was. Oh, about Sammy. <laughs> yeah, Sammy Davis. About Sammy Jr. Davis. Oh, so uh, I was all of a sudden in the music world. Show business was my life. This was the thing to do. I got an acting background one year, which I never used. And I'm, I'm with musicians. I play drums a little. So this was nice. Uh, I, I guess Sammy was just part of it. I used to hang out in the... the well, he owed you $5,000 when he died. <laughs> You gotta remind me of that. Right? <laughs> oh, you buried the lead there, Dick. <laughs> Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. owed you five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. He's the only one that ever owed him anything and got away with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh well. First, first script. First script. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, I, I know singers, and I knew band leaders, and musicians. I knew all these guys, and, and, and it was me. So, uh, one, two o'clock in the morning, what are you going to do? You hang out. Yeah. So, dancing on Broadway, on uh, up Broadway and down Broadway, this old hat. Everybody does it. Everybody sings. We're going on. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were destined to become an actor, Dick. Uh, I mean, you had the, the guy comes over your house from Disney, wants you to be an actor. That doesn't happen. Then you go and you check in. You're ready to check into the upholstery school. You're ready to sign up for that. But that doesn't happen. And then you take the acting classes. And then when you get to meet Corman, you say, I'm a writer. He says, no, I need actors. So it just kept coming back. It, it's, uh, it must have been fate. I think so. Yeah. It's a treat. Can can you come over to my house and fix my couch anyway? <laughs> I'll bring some material. Okay. I'll bring some material. Right. <laughs> like I got a nice I got a nice imitation leather that looks beautiful on it. <laughs> and you'll bring those little gold tacks and everything. You got some nice gabardine for you. Yes. Okay. And uh, anyway, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to the great that guy actor, <laughs> Dick Miller, and his wife, the lovely Lainey Miller. Who you, and when I go home tonight, Laney, I will be watching that scene of you in the God in, <laughs> in the Graduate. I want you to know that. You guys but, have a nice repartee. You got a nice Stiller and Mirror thing going. I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, oh my do. God! You were. I was gonna say Stiller and Mirror. <laughs> you guys should do a comedy act. It's never too late. Uh, this was. It's pretty late. <laughs> This would be a great reality show. It would be. Okay, so we've been talking, and, and your movie again is That Guy, 
Dick Miller, and it's available where again? www.thatguydickmiller.com. And anything else to plug, guys? Well, if people want to see his personal website, yep. where his artwork is and everything else, that's dickmiller.net. Dickmiller.net. And I urge yep. our listeners to check out Dick's artwork. It's very interesting. It's very creative. It's very, very weird. Yeah. It's but but it but uh, it's it's, it's it combines a lot of different styles. There's a lot of versatility in his drawing. My dad was a, uh, an illustrator and an artist, and Gilbert does some himself. And and I I understood because I like to draw. I I understood one part of the documentary where you said when you were acting, you sort of geared away from the drawing part because you had somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I laid off it for a couple of years. I mean, like 10 years, I didn't touch. I didn't draw. Then all of a sudden, it came back to me. Yeah, it's good stuff. So go to dickmiller.net and look at Dick's artwork. So thank you, Dick and Laney Miller and the Jew Hours. Bye-bye. Dick, we'll give, you, right. we'll give you regards to the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>